Well, I got another stupid headline for you. Okay. I don't know if you caught this today. Not sports related, but uh, I just would hate to talk to you, especially on a microphone, and not talk about this headline. Sure. I don't know if you happened to see this today. This woman in Utah wrote a book about uh, grief oh. for children. Oh, this is the one who then now is being charged with murder. Yeah. So uh, uh, her name is Corey Richens. She wrote a children's book about grief. Uh, after her husband died, now it turns out she murdered her husband. Allegedly. It, uh, well, <laughs> have you like seen anything about it? It's the most... First of all, it's... Okay. You're just locking people up for <laughs> for thought crimes. And so, oh, that's, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So already, like... Okay, you write a book about grief right after your husband died. And that's that's fine. In most scenarios. As, as Ryan Nanny put it on Twitter, making lemons out of lemonade. <laughs> but, like, if you murdered your husband and you write a book about grief, after, like, it feels like that's a very, um, uh, look at me kind of, like, lay low. Lay low. Right. So, this reminded me of, uh, my wife and I are currently watching a series on HBO called Love and Death. Um, it's like a true crime thing in Texas where basically these... There's these two couples that are friends in like a small town in their church. The wife from one couple is having an affair with the husband from the other. Okay. And then they is that break the one with uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Olsen, yeah. yeah. And then the wife, the the wife of the cheating husband, ends up killed, and it's the other wife who killed her. Which is not really a spoiler because it's a true story anyway. Whatever. Right. It's in the um, it's in the previews. But she's like injecting herself she's very much a part of like the investigation and just telling everyone she was at that like she's just wait i feel like if 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 i were to commit a crime if i did it by <laughs> right, right, right. if i were to commit a crime i'm laying low because then you get into the story in utah and when you get into the details it is just so obvious so first of all originally when he died last year she told the police that she had made him a drink that that evening um, that after he had it, she went to go take the kids to bed, came back, and found him unresponsive. So already it's like, okay, yeah, well... What was in the drink? Yeah, what was in that drink? And then they investigated and found five times the lethal dosage of fentanyl in his system. Oh. <laughs> so this just feels like incredibly obvious already. And then they found evidence that she had been in communication with, I guess, basically a drug dealer who said that she was asking on behalf of an investor... Um, for prescription pain medication, was given hydrocodone pills, texted back two weeks later, says her investor wants something stronger, and requested, this is a quote, some of the Michael Jackson stuff. <laughs> girl. Not great. Girl. And then you're going to write this book about grief. This is just, <laughs> it's a bit much. It's a bit much. I would like to think that personally we would never stoop to such levels to produce content for this show i mean wow that's i didn't read all the details i saw the headline of it and saw people reacting to it but it's, it's some elizabeth holmes stuff right yeah there. i don't know yeah i mean it got me thinking but with murder <laughs> it just got me thinking about like there's this theory sometimes that people especially killers that like do stuff like this. They they like want they leave to, their clues. They want to get caught. It's kind of like is this what Bob Huggins is doing? Is he trying to? 
I, w- I wonder if that book, though, is, like, flying off the shelves. The reviews people... on Amazon are bad. Like, pre, before this. Oh, I was going to say. They're like, it's too dark for kids. Yeah, it's just a murderer. Like, <laughs> Are there details about fentanyl and drink? Because that, <laughs> how that to, would be really how to get How to get the lethal dose of fentanyl. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I I don't remember the details from the reviews, but they they weren't good. Like it was it was not a very popular book. But I think it's still up on Amazon if you want to learn how to grieve your murder victims. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. This is Michael McGraw along with Michael Shutt. Today is Tuesday, May 9th and at 4.35 p.m. when we were recording this, Bob Huggins is still the head coach of West Virginia basketball. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it possible to be both shocked and not surprised at all at the same time. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's one of those things where I've seen a lot of people. So just, again, setting the context for anybody who... Give us the full quote. No, I shan't be doing that. But Bob Huggins called into a radio show and used a homophobic slur, not once but twice, in reference to Catholics at Xavier which was a longtime rival of Cincinnati where he was the head coach and then quickly apologized for it. And it is one of those things where I really could see this going either way of whether he sticks around because it is West Virginia and maybe a more conservative state. He's a uh, legend, Hall of Fame head basketball coach. He's got a top five recruiting class in, but he also does seem like he doesn't, have the most politically correct uh, way of talking about things. So you're right. Like, it's not surprising. But at the same time, it's kind of shocking that at this point in his life, he would just say that unprompted. Like, you've been in the public eye enough that even if... So I tried to... I was thinking about this this morning, and I tried to put myself in the shoes of, of one Bob Huggins and was thinking, okay... My assumption is that Bob Huggins probably thinks it's ridiculous that he would get in trouble for saying this. He probably thinks it's fine, no big deal, thinks that people are being overly politically correct, whatever. And, and to that point, one of the he, got, he was interviewed pretty soon after, before he had released the statement, and he just said, I'm not doing this, man. I'm not doing this. Yeah. So like, it was almost kind of shoving that... I see that this is going to be a thing, but no, we're just not going to make this a thing. So, I, but but I think that to sort of to your point, like at this stage in his career, you've been around enough. You got to know there's some things you just don't say, even if you think it's not a big deal. Which I want to be super clear on this. In my opinion, this is a big deal. You shouldn't say this at all, ever to anyone, privately or publicly. But even if you don't think it's a big deal. You've been around enough, if you're Bob Huggins, to know you can't do that. There was party when I heard the... So first of all, for background, you sent this to me, like a tweet about it. And I thought it was one of those like parody Twitter accounts that just gives fake quotes to, to athletes and coaches. as right. like, haha, this is funny. Like, wouldn't it be crazy if Bob Huggins went on the radio and said this? And I, like, it took me till this morning, till I saw the, the, the news, like the actual story and was like, oh, 
Like you weren't getting. That's, he said that. that happened, and I heard the I heard the audio, and honestly, like my first thought was, is it possible he didn't know he was on the air? Like, mm. is it possible he thought he was just having a phone conversation with these guys? I think there's a non-zero chance of that. Like, I think it is it is possible, but you got to assume, right? Like, you got to assume you're on the air. It was air. a radio show, though. Like, he wasn't just calling up a friend. Yeah, but I don't know if these guys call. I don't know. I Yeah, I, I think it's 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 improbable. And he didn't say anything in his statement about not knowing he was on the air or something like that. And it's not as though the radio hosts, like, pushed back on it or tried to stop him. They were making their own jokes. And, like, right. the whole thing was, was bad and... Look, I want to get out in front of this for anybody who's listening and thinks like, oh, this isn't a big deal. Here's my challenge to you. Go walk into your place of employment and just say what he said and see what happens. That, that was Dan Wolken. Yeah. He's been saying that on Twitter all day. That just is, like, go try it out. Try like, it out. Like, if I went into my job and said this, I'd be gone. To me, it is unquestionable. Bob Huggins should be fired. That is my personal opinion. I just think there you have to... You gotta set a standard. Bob Huggins said this twice. It wasn't just something that accidentally came out and he meant and to say something. And doubled down about, about right? like right. He he. Yeah. It was clear what his intention was based on what he was talking about. It wasn't just a slip of the tongue. It wasn't. Oh, I meant to say this other thing. And he even acknowledged that in his statement. So I think this is really bad. And mm-hmm. the other thing is, you as a head basketball coach are more than just somebody there to coach a sport you are a representative of a public university Mm -hmm. you have to present as a welcoming environment to students there yeah so it goes beyond just can he coach basketball having said this yeah i i um this is a real shame i mean i i don't know as a coach i've always kind of liked bob huggins like just basketball wise i like the way that he coaches i like the way that his teams play yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of done with them now. Like that, I can't. This isn't something that I can really look past. I, it's unacceptable, and I think any this is where it matters that it's college sports and it is an institution of learning, and you, you have to have a higher standard. It can't just be about wins and losses at a certain point. And any coach will tell you that it's not just about wins and losses. It's about you know developing character and things like that. Well, look, is this the guy you want? you know, leading uh, those young men. And some people will say yes, like some people don't care. And I understand that. And there's people who will criticize it. And, you know, I saw plenty of people on Twitter this morning, like, oh, it's stupid to call for him to be fired. And this is the woke mob trying to cancel him. And look, I think that's, with all due respect, completely stupid. Like, this is a thing that he said that is directly offensive and hurtful to people. You can't have that. That's just, and he knows is offensive. And he knows it's not, it. it's and not, meant for it to be. It's not a word he didn't understand. Right. He did, It's not a, this is a new word that has popped up in the last couple of years no. that people are still grappling with. Like this, everybody knows that this word and is it's offensive. it's crazy. Like as coaches, you know, obviously there's rivalries, but like, I just always feel like as a coach, you kind of. Be the adult in the room, right? I mean, essentially, that's what this comes down to, especially in college college sports is like, seriously, as a coach, you, you're you getting that sucked into this college rivalry that you're saying this thing about college kids? Right. I, I don't know, man. It just, it really rubs me the wrong way. And I've just always felt like 
if if this is what a person is saying in public on air, what is he saying privately? And, and you can't punish him for what you think he may be saying privately. I understand that. But I think he's given you enough publicly that, yeah, just in my personal opinion, I think, great, you issued an apology. Maybe there's a point where he gets forgiven as a person. But as a leader of an educational institution, even in athletics, especially in athletics, arguably, where homophobia runs rampant, no room for this. So, sorry, Huggy Bear. Here's what I was thinking about this morning. Wake up tomorrow and find out that Tony Bennett called into a radio show and said the same thing. Yeah. I might actually die of a heart attack or <laughs> question that I'm living in the Matrix. There's was, there's no chance. And no. You could say this by, about 300 coaches. Yeah. And I probably would have said it about even Bob Huggins, even though he's kind of rough around the edges. I would right. have said it about him, too. You just can't fathom. This guy has the perfect job, one of the few D1 coaching jobs, Hall of Famer, Probably untouchable basketball-wise. Right. Like One completely loved by his players, almost universally, the former players. Yeah. He has so much experience with... You, it's just crazy to me that he would think, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this right now. This is what I'm going to break out and say. I just can't... Like, it's... It's baffling. This the, That's the thing is, like, you try to find things to compare this to, right? So you have, like, the John Gruden emails. Okay, well, at least there it was, you know... An he, email, he didn't think that would ever see right. the light of day. Which doesn't make it okay, but right. at least you're like, all right, well, he showed some sense in terms of how to handle PR and stuff like that. This is, like, I don't know, man. You could tell me this guy was, like, trying to get fired, and I'd believe it because this it's that stupid. Again, yeah, even if... Stupid. Even if you're sitting at home and you're like, oh, whatever, I don't see a problem with what he said. I don't know how anybody could disagree that this is just dumb to say. There are thoughts that you keep to yourself. If, if you got to have them, at least hold them inside, right? Like, I, I, I hate that the thought was there at all. I think, again, it's reprehensible, but here we are. And, yeah, as of right now, he's still employed. Still probably the highest paid state employee, state employee in, in West Virginia. Virginia. Yep. So, you know, coming into this episode, I wanted to talk about looking at the college football season from a little bit of just a preview perspective, but also as both of us are degenerate gamblers, look at it from a gambling perspective. But before we could even get into that, the news this week of several things were Constellation gambling being in the news in different ways. First, you have the Alabama baseball coach who is fired after being investigated for passing along information to a high school coach who placed some very suspicious bets after learning that he was going to be sitting the star pitcher for Alabama and putting in somebody who hadn't really played at all. And unsurprisingly, Alabama went on to lose to LSU. So that's one thing. And then you have now Iowa and Iowa State investigating a number of athletes who may have placed bets in different ways. There's no evidence yet that any of the games were, or any of the players were betting on their own sports, but NCAA currently prohibits athletes from betting at all as a member of, you know, an NCAA team. So lots of gambling stuff in the news, not great fun gambling stuff. Betting is bad. I don't think so. Well, but... 
I don't know if you have any. This is I, I do, and all of this too is on the heels of in the NFL. You've got those players for the Lions who were suspended for gambling, not on the NFL, but in the NFL you can't bet on any sports while you're at the facility, which is kind of feels like NFL facilities are the town from Footloose, but you know I don't know whatever the the um this is tough. I I've always okay. I think there's different levels to this. Bama baseball bad. Don't do that. That is... Yeah, let's take that first. So You shouldn't be giving out information about who right. you are starting with your sport to somebody. There More information will come out about this. But it seems like from now, he gave information directly to someone who was in a sports book, yeah. prepared to bet on it, made large wagers against, it, uh, against Alabama based on that information. That's really, really bad. You can't be a baseball coach anymore. If you're no, I think this is an obvious one. I think there's really no gray area here because either way you slice it, either he found out his pitcher was hurt and couldn't pitch and just told this guy to do him a favor and probably kept some money himself, I would assume. Or did he sit the guy on purpose? Because of it. Right? right? Was he throwing a game, basically? No, I mean, that's so easy to look at and say, that's wrong. Right? You can't do that. But this is, to me, this is the intent behind... The NCAA's rules. I mean, this is what they're trying to avoid when they say players can't bet and things like that, right? Stuff like this. Totally understandable. That is bad. I think the Iowa-Iowa State stuff kind of exists in more of a gray area. Because I don't know that I'm super into the rule that NCAA athletes just can't bet at all. Right. If, if Even on professional sports. If unrelated right. professional sports. So, so here's... I think there's different ways to approach this. One, you could say... They can't bet on college sports at all. And to me, I can I still think it's maybe a little bit much, but I understand it. I think I think that is at least justifiable because, you know, a lot of these athletes have friends in right. other departments, they gather information, and it would be unfair to place bets, even right. if it was like, oh, I'm a basketball player, but I know that these five football players are gonna be out this week and I'm mm-hmm. gonna bet against the school that yeah, I it's just too hard to regulate the individuals and figure out who has connections to you know whatever. So I totally understand that. But pro sport, like, like, come on, like, I guess the argument there would be they potentially have former teammates or whatever who are in the pros. My point is, like, how do you? Where's the line? Just because they happen to be, this is just another way to me to control college athletes, and, and I understand some of the concern I do. But like, if some kid who uh, plays football at Hampton, Sydney, wants to bet on NFL games or NBA games. It's not even the same sport. Seriously, he can't do that? Right. I think this is, I, I have two mixed feelings about the widespread expansiveness of gambling in general in the United States. I'm somebody who thinks that gambling is fine if you can afford it. I do it myself. If you're you know, don't have an issue with gambling. It's not going to bankrupt you in some way or hurt your financial situation. You should feel free to do it as long as you're doing it legally. But they have so many commercials now. Mm-hmm. Like you can't watch any sport, college or pros, without 20 gambling commercials telling you to go online and bet. You can bet on each play. You can bet on games, all this other stuff. So it's so ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. And it's being promoted increasingly. States are saying it's legal. It is weird to have that 
background and now that this where college kids want to do it is a scandal assuming that they're not betting on their own sport like again that's a cut and dried example that we talked about Mm -hmm. so that's kind of weird to me and i think we have to figure this out like we have to figure out what we're comfortable with as a society about this because there is something that we do need to protect the integrity of these games particularly games like college baseball they know that they're harder to keep track of Mm -hmm. which is why a lot of online sports books have lower limits to what you can bet on a college baseball game as opposed to an nfl game like you can put thousands of dollars down a lot of online sports books will only let you bet up to like 500 dollars for a college baseball game because they have no control or oversight over what athletes are doing Mm -hmm. so they need to be able to clearly delineate what the rules are for everybody. I think there are going to be a lot more, like Iowa and Iowa State, I think it's the first domino to fall on this. I think you're going to see a lot of schools self-report that their athletes were doing something, yeah. placing bets on, uh, their, on their phones, on things, not realizing they did anything wrong. I do know, I, I, just, I had a former student who just know from talking to him that he when he was enrolled as a student athlete at a school, he did notice that he had to sign a thing that said, like, I will not bet. Like, they have to, they do have to sign off on that. And so I assume the same thing happens at other institutions and they're aware. You would think most compliance departments have things like that. And make sure that they know. That being said, is it clearly explained to them that they can't bet on anything? Now, I think the official NCAA rule is they can't bet on a sport in which the NCAA has a championship. So if there is no NCAA championship for something, if it's a sport that is not represented in that by an NCAA championship, I'm trying, I'm struggling to think of an example of what that would be like. I don't know if they have NCAA fencing championships. Mm. Um, so you hard could, to bet on <laughs> that, could, but sure. But like, I'm thinking like Olympics come around, maybe you could, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. We're used to the NCAA having some draconian rules, and I guess it's when you're talking about these these schools now saying that, uh, like Iowa has said that that they've withheld athletes from competition because of this already, and it was um, from a baseball game they they withheld a player, and you know you just kind of I don't know I still just hate to see that I just feel like. Is this really something where now? Yeah, again, if it's if the kid was betting on Iowa baseball games, he should absolutely be held out of game. Like that's <laughs> right, a problem. Right. But if he's betting on the NBA, what? Well, who cares? I I personally don't think that we need to worry about the shortstop for Iowa or whatever betting on LeBron's point total. Like right. seriously, you think he's calling up LeBron and LeBron's like, all right, I'll make sure not to go over thirty tonight. Like that's not happening. So. I think there's some common sense we can apply to these rules and understand that we don't have to just assume a broad punishment for all these kids based on fear of an outlier of a scenario. Like, yes, the Bama baseball coach just abused it. That's super easy to catch, and you handle it when it does. I don't think you punish everyone just because you're afraid that it's going to happen some when I just don't think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that there is, like, this widespread issue with people throwing games or anything like that. Yeah, I think that was my last point that I wanted to say was I've I've seen some people online say like this is why I would never bet on college sports or sports in general. I mean, I I can't say with certainty that nothing is going on, but 
the incentives that all of these people have, and especially with NIL stuff now and the ability to make money, it actually de-incentivizes people to throw games. Mm -hmm. They have an opportunity to make money by being successful, and it would incentivize people, coaches, players, everybody involved to actually be the best that they can be. So I think it's very unlikely that there is some massive conspiracy going on where everybody is just throwing college baseball games. It's something that we'll we'll have to keep following, but I also think that we just should eliminate the stigma, which hopefully this episode will do, of gambling in general. Because I think that there is some people who still find it to be kind of unseemly, particularly with college athletes. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the the concern will always be there. And there's the famous Arizona State headache Smith back in the 90s, the point shaving scandal for their basketball team. So I'm not going to say that, like, it can't go wrong, but I, I think you address it when it does. And you don't, again, I, I just think it's it's common sense stuff. So, sure, if you notice, hey, like in the in the example of the Arizona State thing back in, I think it was like 94 oh, sometime then, if you look back at something like that and say, like, okay, here's a team that is, you know, we've noticed a trend where, like, they were consistently – winning games like just under the spread and you can look at plays and identify things like okay it's pretty clear what's happening here or if this guy at Alabama had started pulling his pitcher like weekly (laughs) or something like that you know then I think you you worry about it but um I don't know man I I just think it's like mountain out of a molehill in in some ways but you obviously do have to maintain some control over it it's a, it's a difficult space to navigate, and I think that you know there's a lot of challenges in college sports. We've talked about NIL, we've talked about transfer portal, and I, there's a lot of things that have to be figured out, and this is one of them. And I just I wish I had more faith in the NCAA to figure out common sense solutions, and I just don't. But it's also a great like built-in excuse for some sports teams. So like you know Virginia Tech football. What's happened the last couple of years? Uh, they were point shaving. So just fire the coach, bring in a new one, and be like, ah, well, that's what was happening there. That's the reason that Hidden Hooker got run out of Blacksburg is because Fuente bet the under. Fuente always bet the under. That yeah. was the problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, I, I think increased scrutiny is good. And with that in mind, I do want to talk about looking at some of the college football teams and players that are on the board now. A lot of gambling sites have decided to put out their over-unders for the season and Heisman predictions, conference champion predictions, and I want to do a little bit of digging into that, particularly from the ACC. But, you know, I think one thing that we should say about this, because sometimes, you know, as somebody who writes about gambling in the fall for the Sabre. Sometimes I get people who say, oh, I'm not really into gambling, but I do want to read your preview. Mm. I think that, you know, hopefully we can, if saying this team is going to be under three and a half wins, maybe if that is upsetting, you can just kind of think about it in terms of above or below expectations and kind of see where experts currently view different teams across the landscape. Sure. Yeah, and you know, I think it's good to transition into talking about this. I got one I feel really confident about because I just got off the phone with Mac Brown and he gave me some information on Carolina. So, well, he got his puffy puffy jacket. 
You're not you're not gonna bet against us, are you? <laughs> That's a really strangely good Mac Brown impression. Thank you. You've been working on that? No, no. I just it, he's been around. Also, for clarification, I, Mac Brown is not giving me any inside information. I don't want to launch. Well, actually, I'd love to launch an investigation <laughs> into Carolina football. Though we've seen that investigation, NCAA investigations into Carolina football don't really. Lead to Where's much. Pat Narduzzi to so. say that millions of dollars are being thrown around to Carolina? Yeah. Well, you know, the um, I think what we have to do is we, we, we have to save Virginia for the end of this segment so that Saber people will listen to the whole thing. Okay, sure. We can do that. Um, we'll put it in at any moment so you have to listen through the whole that's thing. That's right. You never know. So let's, let's start in the ACC. Let's start with, um, I think... Most prognosticators' clear favorite to win the conference, which is Florida State. Which is odd because is Clemson has been the favorite in the ACC for years. Yeah, but they're, uh, they seem to, they lost, they lost a lot of talent. They have lost a lot of talent, but at the same time, they also have gained some talent. Now, Cade Klubnick is going to get a full year under his belt. They have uh, Garrett Riley as the offensive coordinator brother of Lincoln Riley, who I think there's almost a no chance that they will not have a more explosive offense. Clemson has one of the best linebacking cores in the entire country. Probably their defense was great last year and is reloading again this year. And I know that their nine and a half point total or win total for the regular season, that only includes the regular season. But do you know the last time Clemson didn't win 10 games in a season? I don't off the top of my head. 2010. 2010. Now, some of those, again, like that includes bowl games or ACC championship games or whatever. But Clemson's pretty good at getting to about 10 wins. Sure. So I kind of feel like, weirdly, everybody is forgetting about Clemson while Florida State is the sexy upstart team. Sure. Which I understand why, but I don't know. I kind of think people shouldn't overlook Clemson that easily. No, and I don't... I. I don't totally disagree with you in that I don't I don't think that people should overlook Clemson. That being said, like I don't really think that they are overlooking Clemson. I just think Clemson has a really tough schedule. And so they 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 have Charleston Southern and Florida Atlantic as two of their first three games. Other than that, there is not a cupcake game on the schedule, which I just think puts them in a tough spot. So like even opening the season at Duke, like Duke looked good last year and returns a lot. And I I don't think that's a game that they can just overlook, right? They play Florida State at home, so that's fine. Their easiest games are probably at Syracuse. Wake Forest may be down a little bit. They've got Georgia Tech. They go down to South, they go to South Carolina at the end of the season, and that's an improved South Carolina team. And depending on what Spencer Rattler they get, like, that could be a really tough game. So I've got them coming in at nine and three. I, I see like to me, I've got them losing to South Carolina at the end of the season. If we kind of work backwards. And then I see them losing two of the four that are Florida State, Miami, NC State, Notre Dame. I think they lose two of those four to finish the regular season at nine and three, which puts them just under their win total. I have them at ten and two. I think they will get the over. Will Shipley is going to be a dynamic player for them. Fourth in sacks last year with their defense, and their defense is going to be 
just as good. KJ so Henry gone. Miles Murphy gone. Yeah, I know. Brian Breesy gone. Sure, but Trenton they, Simpson gone. Again, they have one of the best linebacking cores in the country. I think that their defense will take a slight step back. They'll still be really, really good elite defense, the best defense in the ACC, and their offense will be better. They struggled with the DJU completely gone out of the picture not trying to make him work anymore they can just play more free and i think they will get to 10 wins and probably win the acc again i just don't i i guess i just don't see it and and maybe i don't have enough um maybe i don't have enough faith in well that's uh, where you need Dabo. that's right Dabo will help you with the faith i don't have enough faith in Dabo. i don't have enough faith in Cade klubnik so what do you, what do you think about florida state do you think that they are over their ten wins? Like, are they the clear? I think they're gonna. Favorite? I think they're gonna be right at ten. Yeah, I mean, I I just think that like if you think about momentum from last season to this season, so again, if we this is no surprise. Like football always comes down to the most important position on the field, which is quarterback, and Florida State has one of probably not quite the best because Drake May exists. Unfortunately, as much as I hate to admit that, but like Jordan Travis is an insane playmaker at quarterback, and their schedule is much easier than Clemson's. So they they start tough. They play LSU. It's in Orlando, which is helpful. It's not like they're going to Death Valley or anything like that. But then like the rest of this, I mean, they get Southern Miss, Boston College, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Wake, Pitt, which is gonna be down, North Alabama, Florida, which probably still isn't that. You know, like. It's an easier schedule, and I just think that it's not the easiest in the world, but it's just not as challenging as Clemson's schedule. I think you've got uh, Jared Verse, who is, like, you want to talk about sacks and, like, defensive playmakers. Florida State just brings almost everybody back from a team that got better and better over the course of the season, and if they're healthy, which is always a big question mark in football— but if they're healthy, like, I I don't know. I just really like this Florida State team. Unfortunately, I don't want to, but I do. I like them too, but I would bet the under 10. And this is actually something that I pay attention to when trying to decide over and unders for the year. I actually like betting on some of those round numbers where mm-hmm. there's a chance you can get your money back. So, yeah. like, 10 wins makes total sense. Yeah, I've got them pushing look. 10. Yeah. Right. So, but if I'm forced to choose one or the other, I'm going to take the under. Like you said, they opened against LSU, where last year they won because of a missed extra point. Mm-hmm. So, and and I think LSU may be, I mean, I don't know if you can even call them a dark horse, but a likely college football playoff team. So, yeah. I think that'll be a very, very tough game. At Pitt, always tough, even if Pitt is down a little bit. At Florida is a very tough game. Miami has had so many te- uh, players that they've gotten in the portal. It's kind of tough mm-hmm. to know what you're going to get from them, and that's a rivalry game. And then at Clemson, Florida State has not won at Clemson since 2013. So that is a very, very difficult spot for them. And I just think they drop, I mean, even if they just drop Clemson and LSU, then you just need one random game or one Jordan Travis injury where you win the under. Sure. And Jordan Travis is has been injury prone. I don't want to say is because that I think that's a misconception that just because somebody has been hurt before means that they'll get hurt again. But I also would say the same thing. Like to be honest with you, like I don't really care that it's been that long since they've won at Clemson. Those are different teams, different coaching staff, different people. Like I don't know. To me, those stats don't really hold a lot of water. And I just think that like looking at the players on the team this year, I think Clemson lost a lot is going to struggle. 
potentially early in their schedule. I mean, they they, they do have their two cupcakes early, but they're going to struggle to get it together. I'm not a Cade Klubnik believer, and I am a Jordan Travis believer. And sometimes it is as simple as, how's the quarterback? And their skill positions are amazing. Florida State, Mike Norvell has been recruiting his ass off down there. He has done a good job. He I'm deserves like, credit, and Florida State isn't going anywhere. So even if yeah. they finish nine and three, I mean they're oh. they're here for the long haul. I wouldn't be shocked. Like I'll just go ahead and say this: I wouldn't be shocked if Florida State wins ten games but loses to Clemson. Like that to me feels like the middle ground that could happen here. <laughs> that like Clemson could possibly beat them, but I just I don't see them losing to Florida, who will also be starting a new quarterback. I, the LSU game. It's a toss-up, right? So it's about, to me, it's about those three games for FSU. It's LSU, Clemson, Florida. Miami may factor in. I don't really believe that Pitt will factor in for them. I I just, the other games on the schedule, I just don't see as a huge threat. I think it really is LSU, Clemson, Florida. Can you win two out of the three there? Or really, you just need to win one of those three, probably. Like, if the other ones go the way they should. Miami could be tough, too. I'm not going to totally, that's a home game. I'm just kind of assuming. Yeah, Miami's the team that I have the least faith in where I would pick them one way or the other just because they are so transfer portal right. heavy. Like they part of me feels like they're kind of being underrated right now, but at the same time I also haven't seen anything from them that makes yeah. me think that they're going to play super well. Yeah. Um their number for the year is seven and a half. So like getting to eight Eight and four, that's that's pretty difficult for Miami. Yeah, I, um, I've i got them right at eight, so just over. This is, again, one of those that's like, dang, Vegas is good at this because they probably are right there. Again, assuming health. They've got some easy games early. Miami, Miami of Ohio at home. Uh, Bethune-Cookman. They go to Temple. They have a Texas A&M game that, like, I just don't know what to think about that. That game last year was supposed to be one of the biggest games of the year yeah. and was like one of the most boring college football games I have ever watched. <laughs> it's just so hard to tell. Like You look at the roster at Texas A&M and you kind of assume they're going to be good, but I would have thought that last year, so I just don't know. Kind of same with Miami, right? Like You look at it and it looks like they have these transfers that come in, but it kind of comes back to this like players transfer for a reason. But then they go through, like, okay, Georgia Tech. Carolina, which I don't think is going to be that great. Virginia, sorry. Um, you should be. Like, I don't know. I, I I just think the path to eight is definitely there for them. Um, and that's where I have them. I got them going eight and four. I do want to talk about North Carolina. You, you brought them up at the beginning and moved away. And then now we're back. You're, you sound a little bit down on them. I, I am down on them. Have you heard of Drake May? He's their sure. quarterback. He's yeah. going to be one of the top two picks in the NFL draft next year, according okay. to everybody. Has he ever played defense before? Because that's what they're <laughs> they going to do. Maybe he should. They were 111th last year in passing yards allowed and they had in those, the country. And their DBs all transferred away. Yeah. Well, Storm I Duck, mean, gone. Hey, Cameron hey. Kelly, go- gone? Well, did he come back? <laughs> I don't know. Who's, oh, no, he went to Louisville. Yeah, I there it's going to be another season of Carolina putting up insane numbers offensively and not being able to stop anybody defensively. But I think they're also going to like this is the thing. So they uh defensively I don't think seems to get much better. Maybe worse. Honestly. But this is second year under Gene Chiswick. <laughs> Sorry, I tried to say that yeah, without yeah, laughing. That, I couldn't that do it. Didn't work. Offensively, yes, you have Drake May. And I yeah, I will totally admit he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. If Caleb Williams didn't exist, maybe he would be the best quarterback in the country. I hate to admit that, 
but the dude is really, really good. Okay. Their running backs are back, so they should have a decent running game. O-line's a concern. Receivers are a concern, especially with Josh Downs gone. Like, if you go back and watch some of the tape, that Carolina team, they got bailed out so much by the fact that Josh Downs is so quick and shifty, he can get open anytime. Mm-hmm. Especially in the red zone. We always talk about wide receivers as, when you think about red zone threats, you're thinking like big jump ball kind of guys. But those shifty slot receivers, like Hunter Renfro has been doing this in the NFL and did it at Clemson as well. Because of their ability to get open on those quick little like stick routes and things like that, like they are super dangerous. And missing that, I just think is going to be a struggle for them. And you, you've got, uh, they close out their regular season with Duke, Clemson, NC State. And I just don't love that for them. They've got South Carolina on the schedule. They've got App State, which that game, if the that's the antithesis to the Miami-Texas A&M game. That was one of the most exciting games in all of college <laughs> football last year. Even Minnesota in there at the beginning is tough. The, the middle of their, their schedule is, like, okay. And they really they don't go on the road a ton, especially in the first part of the season. But, yeah, I just – looking at the numbers for Carolina, what we have them at, eight and a half? Yeah. Oh, under. I think it's optimistic to say seven and five for them. I have – and I recommend anybody who is interested in gambling to look at Kelly Ford on Twitter. He has a pretty good – uh, model that he uses to estimate what he thinks lines will be based on uh, returning production and transfers and all of the other things that go in his model. But if you look at their schedule, they are probably only going to be underdogs in one game, which is at Clemson. So you, I think, I think that that is probably why this number is up at eight and a half. But you look at a lot of their other games are real close. So it's just a lot of like 50-50 games. A neutral game against South Carolina to open the season. Pitt is probably a pick em. They play at Pitt. Minnesota, like you mentioned, they had this line at minus four. So that's probably a pretty close game. NC State to end the year. They're favored in this model by two. But again, that that, that's pretty close. Me. Like I, I'm, I'm trying to be as objective as possible. Looking at what we have back and what they don't have back. And that it's at NC State, and that is nuts to me that they're favored. Yeah, I think that, uh, again, their offense is one of the best offense. They had the best offense in the ACC last year and one of the absolute worst defenses. So if you can score 65 points a game, great. There are going to be some teams that take that away from you, mm-hmm. and those are the games that Mac Brown has lost traditionally in his career, and it wouldn't surprise me to see them. So I, I too, have them under 8.5, but... They, they'll be fun to watch because every <laughs> every possession for both teams will be uh, an absolute roller coaster. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I I don't know. It felt tough because I was looking at this, and as I was putting it together, I had to keep telling myself, like, don't be a hater. Like, don't, don't base this on – like, I'm trying to base this on genuinely what I would bet, not just I hate Carolina and I hope that they have a disappointing season. I just – But yeah, you can't man. deny that it's a bonus. Oh, if for sure. I'll be I'll be ecstatic if they go six and six, like when they're expecting to go nine and three or whatever, right? Like that that makes me giddy and all warm and tingly in my underparts. But <laughs> we've just seen we've seen this script before, right? We've yeah. seen Sam Howell be a great college quarterback sure. and throw the ball for a million yards, and Marquise Williams, you, right? And uh, Mitch Trubisky, like you, they just have. 
like this is the model that UNC has, and until they actually put it together and get nine right. or ten wins, like I'll believe it when I see no, it. I know the script. They're going to be ranked like 17th or something in the preseason poll, and then they're going to come out and play South Carolina and Charlotte and, uh, and watch them get boat raced. Like Spencer Rattler is going to throw for 600 yards, and it's just going to – I that's my that is my early prediction. I think – Carolina gets blown out in Charlotte by South Carolina. And then, Sandstorms coming. And then, and then tell me what those lines for the rest of the year look like. Because then I think everybody's going to adjust and be like, oh yeah, that's right. You have to play both sides of the ball. Perfect example, last year's USC team. Caleb Williams, the one quarterback in the country that I will 1,000% say is better than Drake May. They had an offense. Their entire offense is, is, is super comparable. And it's better versions of what Carolina had. So as good as Josh Downs was, USC had Jordan Addison. USC was way better. And they got to the, the what was it, the Cotton Bowl they played in against Tulane? And lost because they didn't have a defense. You, you got to play, play both sides. All right. Um, let's go from there to uh, – why not? We'll go to NC State. We talked about it just now. So where where are you going to put the ACC championship trophy? <laughs> Maybe the Virginia Tech yeah. football program can lend you their empty trophy case that sure. you can put the NC State trophy on. I'd appreciate it, honestly. Here's the thing about NC State this year. The schedule is is relatively forgiving, and our toughest games are our home games. So you have to like when that shakes out that way. Look, we lost a lot of talent. We definitely did, especially on defense. Um, and Devin Leary's gone, you know, so I think that it looks, the cupboard looks kind of bare as bare as a Virginia Tech trophy case, but there's more there than I think meets the eye. I think there's a lot of guys that are, have been waiting there their, for their shot. Enter Brennan Armstrong. Sure. Fine. You know where I stand on this. It's going to be MJ Morris by week three at the latest. Okay. Yeah. Give me over six and a half, a hundred percent. I've got us at nine wins, nine and three right behind Florida. We're right there with Clemson. It sounds Homer, I get it, but honestly, if you look around, like I was doing research today, there's a lot of outlets that have us around the same area. I think we're a pretty comfortable overpick at six and a half. I have them at seven and five, which again isn't over, yeah. but I'm not quite as optimistic. I mean, that's one of the things about Robert and I is that he is very competent at improving the offense. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's almost no chance that NC State will have a worse offense than they did last year, where they struggled, mm-hmm. despite the fact that their defense kept them in and allowed them to win a number of games. Yeah. There's just no chance that he's going to be worse than Tim Beck. So they're going to get better, regardless of whether you think it's Brendan Armstrong or MJ Morris or both. Maybe it's both at different times sure. in the year. I don't think they have the same punch defensively based on what they've lost. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I so you add all that together, tough games at home, like you said. I think, yeah, 7-5 and five seems very doable. Maybe 8-4. and four. I'd, I'd bet on that. It's the back half of the schedule that's going to do it. I mean, you look at this first run through basically October 21st, so through the bye. UConn, Notre Dame's a tough one. VMI, Virginia, Louisville, Marshall, Duke. You should come out of that. I think theoretically, out of those first seven games, to me, I think you you can like five and two, six and one out of those first seven games is totally reasonable. And so then it's about that closing out with Clemson, Miami, Wake, Virginia Tech, and Carolina. Like the end is fine. I don't know. I I just think like I think they're undervalued a little bit. I think part of that is because the starting quarterback is 
currently QB2 on the depth chart. So mm. I think some of that is how people anticipate. And, and yeah, you see a team lose a lot of talent on defense and it becomes kind of, I mean, I did the same thing with Clemson earlier. Like I undervalue them because I probably, because I see what they lost. And I think people are doing the same thing with NC State. Peyton Wilson's back uh, linebacker. And if he is healthy, which is probably not going to be the case because he never is, <laughs> then like that's a that's a first round type talent at linebacker. So, you know, I just think that it's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out. There is a lot of talent back on the back end of the defense. Young talent that got exposure last year because of injuries. It's who's going to step up at receiver, basically. Who's the quarterback going to be? And can we get more out of the run game from from Robert and I's offense? And I think it's possible. Should we go to my team let's, since you're homerizing your team? Yeah, let's do Is it. Is homerizing a verb? No. Can I make can I make it a verb? No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Being a homer for yeah. Virginia. Virginia is a really tough one for me because I look objectively and I think their schedule's pretty tough. And I think that mm-hmm. their cupboard is fairly bare with what they have. But mm-hmm. at the same time, three and a half wins, there are a lot of teams that aren't very good that get four wins. Like yeah. four wins is not that difficult. If you look at their schedule, they have basically one game that they're probably going to be favored clearly on, and that's the William and Mary game. So yeah. let's give them that, which maybe I shouldn't, but given the William and Mary game, they've got probably a slight favorite game against James Madison. They've got Georgia Tech at home. They've got Duke at home. Duke has not played well against Virginia on the road. They've done much better at the friendly and beautiful confines of Wallace Wade Stadium. Then you have Virginia Tech, which, I mean, honestly, is probably a 50-50 game at this point at UVA. Like, I don't know. Like, I I don't feel confident in either one of those teams right now Mm -hmm. based on what they have. So game against Boston College on the road is conceivably winnable. So they have a lot of those, like, close games. I don't love betting the over on Virginia, but if I'm forced to pick over or under three and a half wins, I'll take the over. I don't, I don't yeah. think they're gonna. They're not gonna be like a bowl team, but I think they can get four wins. I think they could definitely get four wins. Tony Musket, the Tony Musket era. Let's go. Lock and load, baby. I don't know. I like Jay Wolfolk, but you know, well, he's playing baseball right now. So wow, can't have it, that. No. Well, yeah. I mean, William and Mary. I, I just look at the schedule too. Like, yeah, I like a chance a home home game against Georgia Tech. I like in there. Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to... The the thing I worry about is this. Okay, so you're going to go down to Nashville and play Tennessee. And that is... That's a loss. Probably not going to be pretty. So then you come home to play James Madison the next week. It will be a very tough game. I think that's like a coin flip game. Oh, I think that's a very tough game. I'm saying, I think you've got to find a way to at least keep it close. Uh, Not that I think they would. I'm just saying, it needs to be competitive... I honestly think you have to find a way to beat James Madison because then you're going to Maryland. Probably where I a loss. You, I think you lose by multiple touchdowns. NC State comes here. That'll probably be, if Brennan Armstrong is still starting, that's his best game of the season probably. Yep, 500 yards. <laughs> and then get benched two weeks later. And you go to Boston College, which is always like weirdly tough for lots of teams. So I just think if you can't beat James Madison, a potential 0-5 start, yeah, you could you could definitely envision a scenario where the wheels fall off. Yeah, and people, uh, are, people are clamoring for uh, Des Kitchings to be fired and sure. maybe even Tony Elliott. Like I'm not saying that's what I think will happen. I just looking at it would be concerned about that possibility. 
Um, realistically, yeah. I mean, I think they probably do beat James Madison. I think they beat William and Mary. And then you look at those kind of late games, and maybe you beat Boston College. Maybe you beat Georgia Tech, Louisville, Duke, Virginia Tech. Like, there's some wins there. It's entirely possible. I'm going to go over three and a half. When I first looked at it, it was four and a half, and I was mm-hmm. going under because I really think the sweet spot four is eight. right at that four. This is one of those things, too, that novice betters, I think, they kind of go through the schedule, and they're like, okay, they're favored in only one game. That means yeah. they're going to be 1-11. and 11. No. And that's not how betting or the real world work. People win in upsets all the time, particularly those games that are like within a touchdown. They end yeah. up being... You know, like fifty to seventy percent, like one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I think that UVA's defense made so many great strides from uh, under John Rudzitsky in his first year. So, I wouldn't be surprised to see them be keep UVA in some games that maybe their offense is struggling in. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's tough, right? Like it's it's a hard call. Obviously, like tough season. That ends in a tragedy, so you don't know. You can't make the same momentum judgment that I think you can make with mm-hmm. a lot of programs, and, and that's that's super challenging. And, and you know, I think it's it's there's obviously way more important components to that than the football part of it. But like in terms of impact on a team and what it means for the following year, it's just that's tough for then year two of a coaching staff. You know, I don't know. I it's we'll see what happens. I think that you like you said the defense was way better and. If the offense can just make some strides, you almost need a, a, a goal like they've got up at Iowa. Like set a point total, set a points <laughs> per game goal and say if it doesn't get here, Des Kitchings is gone. If we're not averaging 25 points a game, you're gone. Speaking of Iowa, I did see that they were taken off the board in some of these online things because yeah, I, I wonder, think they're yeah. trying to investigate, make sure nothing's going on up there. So. Kirk Ferentz, known gambler. That's a reference to his conservative offensive approach. Right, to I was going to say uh, gambling by trying to score off punts rather That's than right. touchdown passing touchdowns. But. That's right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I look, I'd love to see a good Virginia team eventually. Just don't think if we're going to get a good one this year, maybe a slightly better one. What do you think about? I, I don't know if you want to go through all the ACC teams. I there's some teams I don't care about, but they're. What do you think about Virginia Tech and their? Yeah. Season? So there, I got them at four and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to go just under. I think they also win four games. I think with again, they've got they've got some softballs on their schedule, and I think they could even stretch it out more. Hey, Old Dominion is never a softball for the Hokies. <laughs> they just have four guys drafted, which <laughs> um, is kind of wild. But it is. yeah, I mean, like ODU, they're not going to lose to ODU at home after recent struggles. Rutgers, Marshall, a Wake team that I figured to be down, a Pitt team that I figured to be down, Syracuse team. Those could be some. I, I, no, all, I'm not those, saying they're. Those are all winnable games, but none I mean. of them are like. Oh, they're not gimmies. Yeah, they're, they're not, not gimmies. I'm just saying they're. I'm just saying there's a lot of winnable here. So I like I said, four wins. I'm not saying they're going to win all those. Um, if they do, they're having a very different season from how I envisioned. But I have them under four and a half. I have them right at four. Yeah, I'm really interested to see Virginia Tech because I get the sense I, I'm not as dialed into them as you know maybe your wife is or other Virginia Tech fans, but it's I get the sense that people are getting pretty anxious about Brent Pry. Yeah, his, his initial start three and eight first year. Sure, I think he's in a similar spot as Tony Elliott. Right, but at a program that where could, winning is a little bit should, more should expected. reasonably have some higher expectations. 
I'm not saying national championship expectations, so those Wahoo fans can calm down. I'm not saying Tech is like some great blue blood program of football. I'm just saying like they have won some more games, and I think high expectations are reasonable because if you're not winning football games, what the hell else are you doing in Blacksburg, Virginia? So, you know, you, he's got to find a way to put it together. And I, like, who's playing quarterback? Probably I, Green I mean, Wells. To I mean, start, literally, who's playing quarterback? Chiron, um, Chiron drones maybe wins it out at some point or gets playing time. I think you have to go with Grant Wells based on his experience, but I don't know how you can feel super confident in his abilities based on what you saw from him last year. The one thing that I was looking at that I think this actually maybe helps Virginia Tech, turnover luck, because you know a lot of people mm-hmm. think that turnovers are, yeah, we forced fumbles because sure. we're the best. And a lot there's so much luck that goes involved to turnovers. They were 129th in the country in forcing turnovers, which is very un-Virginia Tech. Like They only forced nine turnovers all season last yeah. year. That's crazy. So, yeah. I mean, maybe they get some turnover luck and only finish 120th, and that's still an improvement. I don't know. Like That's, that's crazy for them. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think some of that, there's definitely an underestimated impact that things like that have. And injury luck falls into things, too, and... I just think it's a fool's errand to judge a coaching staff on their first year. Like, I just, you can learn some things, but you got to kind of wait and see how things play out. Justin Fuente, like, did not leave. He did not leave a 10-win program for Brent to come in. So I think the guy can can build something. Is there anything else you want to talk about the ACC, or should we move on to some national stuff? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to just, like, go through the remaining ones and just kind of say over under we don't have to sure. get into them because yeah. I don't really care about the rest of them yeah go all ahead. right so Pitt six and a half I've got them over over barely uh Wake Forest uh six push can't bet push I'm gonna bet under I don't care I'm betting push I'm betting they're under. winning six games Tell they me. always do with that yeah. they're so pessimistic. and then who's that. playing quarterback there yeah I think that's the the main thing Sam Hartman I think covered up so many things for yeah. them and him transferring to Notre Dame is okay. going to be a big here's the easier over under because you can just bet the over it doesn't matter what the number is how many times during game broadcasts are they going to talk about the slow mesh <laughs> I, over I, under a 20 I hate it because it's like every Wake Forest game every play well, there's that slow mesh. It really throws deep. In, and it is, like, innovative, I guess. But who cares? Um, <laughs> Miami, seven and a half. I'm going to take the under, but I don't feel great about it. I'm going over. I think that they are a dark horse to win the ACC. We're going to mm. come back to that in a second. Okay. Louisville, seven and a half. I'm taking the over. They've gotten some really good transfers there. Uh, Jeff Brom got his guy from... Purdue, who was at Cal last year and was mm-hmm. a stabilizing force for them. So I think they are over. And they fixed their football field. Their football field from the images, super cool. Super cool. They've got the old Cardinal back in the sweater on midfield. Yeah. So give me, I want give them me to go. Little... I want them to go the gothic L on the mm, helmet. That's pretty cool, too. Uh, this is my equivalent to your Miami feeling, which is I'm going under, but I don't feel great about it. Yeah. I think Louisville's going to be annoyingly good. I hate when they're good. Uh, UVA's best rival, according to the ACC. Let's go. I don't know. Duke. Is it the U- it's UVA's best rival? Or no, Louisville? Just, UVA is to, Louisville's best rival. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. had to force that like cross-divisional sure, sure, sure. rival that we played every year. Yeah. So, whatever. Duke, six and a half. 
I'm going to take the under, but I don't feel great about that because Mike Elko has has got that team, you know, just solidly getting better every year. But I I still have them at six and six. Over. Duke's going to win a lot of games on Mike Elko Field at Wallace Wade Stadium. <laughs> Boston College, easiest schedule in the ACC, and it's nowhere close. Five and a half? I guess I'll take the over. I don't know. I Honestly, I do research for this, and I pay a lot of attention to college football generally and the ACC specifically. I don't think I know anything about Boston College. Yeah. Is Steve Adazio back? Probably not. <laughs> No. Bring him back. Still got the douchiest, well, that's hard. One of the douchiest coaches in the in all of college football, Jeff Halfley. I don't know oh, why. Jeff, Jeff Halfley is the coach. Yeah, I don't Ooh. know why I think that, but I just look at him and I get like a little feeling. Mm. Okay, I'm going to give it, uh, well, <laughs> it's between you and the Lord. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take the over. Sure. I am too, just because, again, that schedule is so easy. I look at it. You've got four built-in wins. Northern Illinois, Holy Cross, Army, and UConn. Like, Ooh, Army, that's a good matchup of all gold helmets. True. And then I think they all probably play Notre Dame too, right? They nope. do not. Wow. That's what I'm they, saying. They have the they easiest schedule. They don't play schedule. Notre Dame this year? No. Okay. So you've got those four wins, and then you, have get, you play Virginia. You play Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Virginia Tech. Yeah, they're over. Like, give me the over. I, I just, don't even. I don't. I can't name one player on their team. Over. Yeah. Over. Zay Flowers gone. <laughs> That's all right. Next man up. Syracuse, six and a half. I'm gonna take the under. Yeah, I think they've lost a lot, including offensive coordinator Robert and I. And that now they do have um, Jason Beck stepping in. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do there. It probably is an upgrade for them. But they lose um, Sean Tucker, Mm -hmm. the other running back's name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to miss those tweets, man. Do you ever follow him on Twitter? he's, He's a good follower. After every game, you'd be like, we won 34 to 31. And I had 20 carries for... 72 yards, not my best performance. I'll do better next time. <laughs> it's like, they were so good. Like, I just love those those tweets from Tucker. Do you follow Magic Johnson on yeah. Twitter? It was very they, similar to that. Very similar vibe. Yeah. yeah, we won because we scored more points than the other team. Syracuse, also an easy schedule. They play Colgate. That's all you need to know. Um, Tough regional game. Under. Yeah, I'm going to go under on the six and a half. They have an interesting game where they play Pitt in the Bronx, Yankee Stadium. Stop doing that. It's Stop making baseball fields football fields. Just stop. I hate that. I <laughs> Out hate of context, it. that sounded like the most like dementia-ridden sentence. <laughs> <laughs> stop making football fields baseball fields, or whatever you said. Yeah, the other way around. The other way around. But, yeah, but I don't is that better? Like... Okay, here we go. Would you rather watch them play in Yankee Stadium or in the formerly no- artist formerly known as the Carrier Dome? The Carrier Dome is heat controlled, so I'm picking that one. I'm not I mean, watching like, on TV. Oh, on TV? Uh, if I don't have to be there, I don't care. Oh, okay. Play wherever. I just hate watching games at Syracuse. The lighting's super weird it's, in that it dome. It is bad. Everything. The camera angles odd. are a little bit weird. Yeah. Honestly, over. I'm gonna repeat. Wait, what did I say? Under. Said under. under. <laughs> I'm gonna repeat something I said. I think in the last episode. Can we just get rid of Syracuse and take them out of the ACC? Syracuse and Louisville. Bye. I think they would be a great fit with the Big Ten. Sure, man. We'll we'll take Notre, we'll days? take Notre Dame. They can have Syracuse. Perfect. Easy trade. Georgia Tech is our last one. Four and a half. You know, four and a half is still so low. One of the things I like to do betting is I, they 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 really have a lot on the margins where 
teams rarely hit at the extremes of the spectrum. So yeah. that's part of the reason that I feel good about UVA being over three and a half. So I'm going to give, even though I have no faith in Georgia Tech, I'm going to give them the over just because four and a half game, four and a half is just so low. Yeah, but I look at the schedule. I see three games I feel good about for Georgia Tech. South Carolina State, Bowling Green, and sorry again, but Virginia. Maybe. Maybe. Like they play, I, I, I they will, go to Ole Miss. They play that's Georgia. Tough. That's like, tough. Two tough games. They're they, not going to win those games. They, I don't know. I'm just looking at like Boston College. I guess you could feel decent about that game. Depend, talk about it. That is the game I will care the least about. Boston College, Georgia Tech on October 21st. Uh, two teams that if you asked me, I, could, I couldn't name five players playing in that game. Yeah, there you go. I don't know if I could name two. See, this is why, okay. I mean, I think these are the, the vibes that I have now. I think I will reserve judgment to see once the whole portal situation shakes out and we get into August, I think this will be a, like, have finalized yeah. finalized views of this, and maybe I'll change my mind by then. But part of, part of like, picking best bets now is trying to anticipate where lines are going to move one way or the other, like Colorado's likely going to move because they're all over the place with all their transfers. Sure. That Georgia Tech line's not moving because nobody cares what they're doing. No. So, like, it is going to be four and a half now. It'll be four and a half on August 31st. You have plenty of time to do some research. Or don't. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I just think if you find yourself caring and betting on Georgia Tech's win total, you're either a Georgia Tech fan, which is... Shouldn't bet on your own team, I think. Sure. But. Or you need professional help. And honestly, if you're a Georgia Tech fan, you probably need professional help. Um, Unrelated to betting. Yeah. I just don't... I don't know. Maybe Brent Key is the next Nick Saban. All right. That's the ACC. I, I will say just my last like ACC thing, I guess. I was looking at lines to win the ACC. Mm-hmm. None of them really appeal to me in terms of like what the odds are. Because I think it's going to be Florida State. And it's like plus 160 or something like that, I think, if I'm just from the top of my head. But... Miami at plus 2,200. It's not bad. I might lay some dough on that. But then you'd have to root for Miami. So that's it's, that's the yeah, devil's bargain. But see, bargain. if I'm placing a bet at plus 2,200, I guess I'm kind of thinking of that as like, am I really rooting for them? Or is it more of like, hey, if this happens, at least I'm going to win some money off of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's more how I would choose to look at it. It's that. like a squirrel burying an acorn that you don't care whether you find again. Yeah, kind of. Like... Yeah, if I if I can dig it up and it's it's still there, great. If I and there's not, twenty acorns, one twenty two acorns where I pl- placed it, but if yeah. I forget about it, it's okay. No big deal. It'll just turn into a tree. Somebody else's acorn. That's right. I'll take it. I'll take it. That's the only when I looked at the lines that when you know again you don't bet on your own team. I won't bet on state to win the ACC. Odds were not great anyway, but yeah, I don't know. I like that one. Yeah, I I can see it. But other than that. So I'm not betting on any ACC team to go win the college football playoff. I'm not betting on anybody in the ACC to win the Heisman. Sorry, Drake May. And one of the lines that I have here on my book that I have up, Jordan Travis is actually second in Heisman. Yeah. So like he's at like plus 1,100. So he was second on the list behind only Caleb Williams. I'm not betting on him either. I just, I, I, I like him. Caleb Williams is winning the Heisman. Like, can we just not? Yeah, I think that... Let's go ahead and talk about some national stuff. So we brought up the Heisman. We'll go ahead and talk about it. 
that is probably the modal outcome and it's at plus 400 or 500 depending on where you're shopping around it's just so rare for people to win the Heisman multiple years in a row I could easily see Caleb Williams coasting through the year playing really well having the same numbers that he had last year when he won the Heisman and yet just and not, not getting, getting it. it. Somebody else. Somebody uh, else has like, I don't know, gets the media attention. Like he's almost certainly going to be the number one draft pick regardless of what happens this year, unless he just absolutely tanks in some incomprehensible way. But I, he wouldn't be my betting choice, even though I think he's the most likely to get it. Sure. So who is your betting choice? Because I have a guy that I think is going to have that year that's like at least enough to put I like I still think it's most likely that Caleb Williams wins it but if there if it happens that somebody has that tremendous breakout year that wins them the Heisman I have a guy that I think it's going to be I'm curious if you do so I have a couple that I would probably bet on based on the odds mm-hmm. again I I like to think of these things as you know putting chips on a roulette board where you're not just putting all your eggs in one basket you're kind of sprinkling them around, giving yourself multiple people to root for. Or like burying an acorn in a different... <laughs> yes. Hey, man, that analogy was very yeah, apt. it was great. Um, so a couple people that I would look at here. First and foremost, I think Jaden Daniels at plus 1,600. Mm. I think there's a really, really good chance, and we'll talk about LSU again here in a second. I think there's a really good chance that LSU is in the college football playoff. Yeah. They have the best portal... Uh, entries. They had a great season last year and made it to the SEC championship, kind of surprisingly in Brian Kelly's first year, especially how it started given their loss to Florida State. They're really stinking good. Mm-hmm. LSU may be the best team in the SEC. And Jaden Daniels is one of the best passers and dual threat quarterbacks in all of football. He's going to rush the ball a lot. He's going to yeah. throw a lot of touchdowns. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And so I think he would be my top choice at plus 1,600. That seems like pretty good value. If you go down a little bit down the board, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is not a bad choice. He's going to be the top option in Ohio State's always prolific offense. Jackson Smith and Jigba gone, Mm -hmm. and all all the other wide receivers that have come out of there, Olave, Garrett Wilson in the last couple years. This is his team now, and he's going to be the top option for Ohio State. So... If he just has insane receiving numbers in the way that we saw uh, Devonta Smith have, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised to see him in the conversation at the end. And then maybe just, I don't know, this I don't think he's going to do it, but I think it's kind of insane that he's this low given where he was last year. Cam Rising at Utah. I mean, that guy was in the conversation. If he hadn't gotten hurt, Yeah, I think he would have been in the Heisman conversation. He's at plus 6,600. That just seems way too low. So I wouldn't mind just, you know, splashing a couple dollars on that and seeing if Utah and Kyle Winningham do what they always do and win 10 or 11 games, then he's in the conversation as well. Yeah. Marvin Harrison Jr. is definitely in my running for my favorite. He's my probably my favorite non-quarterback candidate for the Heisman. Uh, my only, I guess, outside of the fact that he's not a quarterback – my only reser- my only other reservation about him is just I don't know what you're going to get from Kyle McCord at quarterback. Like mm-hmm. I I just don't know. You don't have a proven quarterback throwing him the ball, mm-hmm. so that makes me a little nervous. The other non quarterback I really like is Blake Corum, um, running back at Michigan. I just think you know that's you know they're going to run the ball. That team's going to be really good too. 
I would like somebody shorter than me to win the Heisman. Yeah, that'd he be is pretty five cool. Eight. Right? Yeah, Let's he's, go. He's a, he's a little guy, but he runs with such power. I also, I guess, like on a similar note, if Kyle McCord is not that great at Ohio State and they have to lean on the running game a little bit more, Travion Henderson mm-hmm. is a very good back and could follow in that Ezekiel Elliott type mold. But I've Drake got May. Two, new. I've got two quarterbacks that I really, really like, and one of them is my guy who I am absolutely all in on. It's not this one. I'm going to start with the one who's not that guy. I'll end with my guy. Joe Milton mm. at Tennessee. Mm. You saw the numbers Hen and Hooker put up. You saw what Joe Milton did in the Orange Bowl after Hen and Hooker got hurt. I just think that offense is super, super quarterback friendly, especially a quarterback with a big arm. They're going to take shots. Yes, Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman, both in the NFL now. But Brew McCoy is still down there, and he was the best receiver of all of them, I think, raw talent-wise. So Joe Milton has weapons. That Tennessee team, it may not be as good as they were, but it's going to be an explosive offense. They're going to put up numbers. But I don't love him, but go ahead. That's fine. The 2023 Heisman Trophy winner is going to be Michael Penix Jr. I knew that's who you were going to pick. I love Michael Penix Jr., this guy is unreal. I don't know how much Washington football you watched last year. I'm not talking about the Washington football team or the commanders or whatever the hell they call themselves these days. I'm talking about the Huskies out in Seattle. Michael Penix Jr., this guy is unreal. Like, he is one of the most exciting players in football. I, he's a dark horse to be a top five pick in the NFL next year. There's some people who've got him in, at least in the first round. But he just, he has it all. I mean, like, he's got size. He is an accurate passer with a big arm, too. So he threw for 4,600 yards last year, 31 touchdowns to just eight interceptions. He is capable of running the ball more than he does. I think just the way that the offense is structured and his tendency to sit back and pick apart a defense from the pocket leads to him not running as much. But still ran for four touchdowns last year and definitely is capable of improvising. I see him very, very similar to C.J. Stroud in a lot of ways. Uh, This is not, we're not talking about him as a draft prospect, but I do think he's super comparable as a prospect. I think the size is almost identical. The fact that he can run but doesn't tend to run. And then just a rocket arm picking apart things. I mean, he came out of Indiana, transferred to Washington, and I think, you know, his stats at Indiana were never like, crazy but when he got to Washington and that coaching staff is super innovative offensively they're going to put him in a position to succeed I think Washington's going to be better than some people expect I don't know if their college football playoff good enough if that they're that level who knows the Pac-12 is weird and that could be the thing that holds him back his team may not be good enough but Vegas has them at nine and a half wins is the line so they yeah. have they have pretty good expectations oh, I mean they're a there. good team like, and they've won they I mean you talked about earlier just having the momentum from last year like they won the last seven games of the yeah. year for them so they, 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 yeah. they are in position them and USC will be the two teams at the end of the year playing for the championship in the pack so some things break a certain way and you know you can get him anywhere up to plus 1400. And, like, I, I love that value. I just think that's really, really great. And I think it's going to be really interesting. You look at the Pac-12, and there's some quarterbacks out there, man. Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. And, and obviously Caleb Williams is the most likely outcome. But, I don't know, say he gets hurt or just doesn't have quite the season he had, you know. Or Michael Penix Jr. just elevates a little bit more. I, I just, I see that there. There's a lot of other guys that are super intriguing to me, but... 
when I when I just look at this list, he's who jumps out to me as that's my guy. Yeah, I like that. I'm all in. All in on MPJ. (laughs) MPJ. He's a little bit of a risk uh, with injuries. He did suffer through some injuries, especially during his time in Indiana. But yeah, I think that is a perfect fit for him in Washington. I like when announcers call him Michael Penix for obvious reasons. I have a few looking at national, national landscape. I have a couple of teams that I'm looking at that I would probably want to bet on now, overs and unders. I don't okay. know if you have any. Yeah, yeah I got a couple that I identified. Right. So let's start with overs, teams that we think are going to beat expectations. Colorado. <laughs> Currently at three, your top team, Colorado. We talked about this last week. It's prime time. I have nothing else to say Okay. about them. <laughs> yeah, Colorado's over. Okay. I have... Did you, sorry, did you see like the amount of people betting them to win the national championship? Yeah, they are the seriously leveraging Vegas. It's crazy. This. It's yeah. crazy. Don't do that. That's stupid. You're wasting your money. But over, yes. But like, I'm saying they're going to win like five or six games. I'm not saying they're going to like win the championship. That would be crazy. Buffs on top, baby. I will say I think that there is going to be a reckoning in week one where they play TCU. And I think TCU is just going to blow them out of the water. Oh, and yeah. then it's going to be... If they do, if they do play that game close, I think it will be an instant like win for the program. See, I see it the other way around. I think Colorado plays really well against TCU, maybe even beats them, and people get really excited without thinking about the fact that TCU lost a ton of talent and Mm -hmm. is not what they what they were last year. So people are like, "Oh my God, they beat TCU," or they played really close to TCU, and and overreact a little bit to that and think they're going to be better than they are. But I'm still, I'm in on it. I want to go to a game. Have you been to Boulder? No. Yo, we should go to a game. Okay. Let's go watch that Buffalo run around. Ralphie? Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Okay. Um, my first team that I'm betting on the over, Wisconsin. I am buying into the Luke Fickle hire. That was the the best hire in the offseason from any team. Tanner Mordecai coming in from SMU. Dude has thrown for over 8,000 yards in the last two seasons. That is something that... I don't think Sam Hornibrook or whoever Wisconsin's quarterback has been for the last couple of years. Sure. That dude couldn't throw for 8,000 yards without a defense on the field if you gave him a month. Huh. Like, he just, no. They don't do that. So, I, th- I think Wisconsin is going to have a really, really good uh, opportunity to compete in the Big Ten. They're probably a notch below Ohio State and Michigan, but they do avoid playing Michigan in the regular mm-hmm. season. Uh, they really... Their, their toughest game is against Ohio State, but you know beyond that, they have a very reasonable schedule. And so I think Wisconsin, I'm a buying into year one, Luke Fickle works his magic in Madison. So, such a tough read for me because new coaching staff, including Phil Longo on, as an offensive coordinator, so they're going to air it out. Mm-hmm. You bring in Tanner Mordecai, you have Phil Longo as your offensive coordinator. We're just not. We're going to see stuff from Wisconsin that we're really not used to seeing. That's another place I'd love to go to a game. Like I just think jump that, around. Yeah, man, that environment is crazy, and they just they don't know what's about to hit them. Like I think I'm not saying they're idiots. They obviously can read too, so they understand that things are about to change. But you got people who have been in that stadium. I'm just thinking like fans, non-student fans who've probably been going to games there for years, decades, have never seen Wisconsin football like it's about to look in terms of style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can feel it. I could feel like a nine-win season for them. I, I, that that makes total sense to me. Yeah. 
my my next overpick is LSU. We've talked about them a couple times. I'm and with I, you on I that mentioned one. Uh, that they might be a, a team that makes it into the college football playoff. I think they beat Florida State in week one to avenge their loss. Mm-hmm. The fact that, that, I mean, we talked about Jaden Daniels already, but their defense was probably oddly their weak spot last year. Yeah. And they have uh, Harold Perkins, one of the best Love edge him. rushers in the country. They have uh, Mason Smith, who was out all last year with an ACL tear. I mean, this is a team that, I mean, dominated the portal, which it makes no sense to me because I can't imagine leaving where I am to go see Brian Kelly under any circumstances, but he's done a great job of getting talent there. And so I think that LSU, I think they sneak into the college football playoff. I mean, they go 11-1, and which makes me kind of sad because I love it when LSU is bad, but I think they I don't think they sneak. Over. I got them 12-0. I, I don't think they drop mm. it. I mean, the one challenge is you go to Alabama. If Alabama was coming to LSU, I would say it with my chest. I would say 100% it was 12-0. and 0. Um, I could see 11-1 with a loss against Alabama. Why, right? And then you just you you look at them like an SEC championship game. That's obviously going to be tough for them against Georgia, one would assume. They're like maybe my favorite national championship bet. I'm not saying like... My favorite to win the championship, but if I'm placing a bet at plus sixteen hundred, that's a good value. I just I love that value. There's two teams I really love for this: them in Michigan, Michigan at plus one thousand. Um, I also really like, but LSU like this this team is really really good. There's just not a as of May 9th, I don't look at this team and see an obvious weakness. So now I'm with you on the LSU over uh, for sure. I've got one more. Actually, I have two more overs. Go for it. Notre Dame, eight and a half mm-hmm. is what okay. I had them at. I've yep. got I've got them over that. I think Sam Hartman is going to have a killer year up there. I, I think that you know even without the slow mesh, <laughs> I um, will he even know what to do? Right, I know. I just I really like it. I, I don't know. I'm like foolishly buying into Notre Dame this year, and I'm probably going to regret that. But I just, I really like it. And the other one is one that we were talking about before recording that you kind of put me on to. That uh, when I looked at it, I, you, I think we're kind of waffling on this, but I'm really into Vandy over mm. um, three and a half. I just think it is, you made a really good point that a lot of it is about what happens at the beginning of this. Cause like they're back half of their schedule. They're not winning any games. Like if they haven't hit over by the time they play Missouri, they're not hitting it. Hawaii, Alabama, AM, Wake Forest, UNLV to start the season. They almost have to get there in those four games. Yeah, that's it. That's the four. I, I mean, I, I think Kentucky, like Kentucky, Missouri, it's possible if they have the game of their lives one week, which could happen. You know, it's college football, weird stuff happens. But then they go through from Florida, Georgia, Ole Miss, Auburn, South Carolina, Tennessee. They're not winning any of those. So. They've improved a lot. I mean, they beat Kentucky last year. They beat Florida last year. So it's not unreasonable. I I do, yeah. I think I think they're they're better. It is just a very gone yeah. out of a schedule beyond those first four games. You got any unders on the national scene? I only have yeah, one. I so I actually have Notre Dame as one of my unders. Okay. So I I think that their offense is going to be good with Sam Hartman. He's definitely going to provide stability there. Yeah. For me. Like losing Tommy Reese is a pretty big loss, I think, for Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and will be difficult for them. Notre Dame's schedule is kind of like they have really easy games on the schedule because they get to pick all of their games. Yeah, which you know is annoying. <laughs> sure, but they do have some really tough games. They have to play at Duke and Louisville. Those are no 
like chip shots. Sure. You would expect them to win, but you know, sure. could, anything could happen. And NC State, the best team in the ACC, according to you. I didn't say that. Uh, they have to play Ohio State at home, but that's a really, really tough game. That's which a loss. That's probably a loss. They get USC at home. That's a really tough game. They play Pitt. They play at Clemson. Like, there's some really tough games there. Sure. And they can, to, to get the over, they can only lose three games. So, yeah, I mean, even if they're really good and improve from last year, like eight and four yeah. seems fairly reasonable. So I'm going to take the under with Notre Dame. My other team uh, that I feel very strongly about is the under. This is something I do almost every year, which is to take the top team and bet the under, especially a team that they anticipate going 12 and 0. I'm betting the under on Georgia. Okay. They have not lost in two years. It's time. They have uh, lost Stetson Bennett. Uh, on the, they've lost their entire defensive line. And uh, Todd Munkin, their offensive coordinator, has left. I just think, I mean, even as good as they are, they're great. They're yeah. going to be in the Final Four at the end of the year. All it takes is one game. This, sure. this happens all the time with Alabama where everyone's like, oh, it's impossible for Alabama to lose. And then they lose to like a Texas A&M or somebody random. Sure. So... I'm gonna I'm gonna bet the Georgia goes eleven and one, and it's also just a pleasure to be able to just pick a team, root against them, and if they lose the game, boom, cashed out for the year. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking the under. I um, I'm on a similar train, but not quite that far up. I'm going under for Alabama. Mm. I ten and a half. I just yeah. I just feel real iffy about the offensive football that they're going to play. When you got to go out and get somebody in the spring transfer portal who was kind of a middling quarterback for Notre Dame, I think the fit could be good, but I just don't know. And it doesn't exactly like uh, encourage a ton of confidence. Defensively, they've still got a ton of talent. They got Kool-Aid on the back end. Uh, Dallas Turner uh, is an edge rusher that's going to step up into the Will Anderson role and I think play really well. Like, there's still a ton of time. It's still Bama. Like, it's not as though the cupboard is bare, but I'm just looking at this. And so, you know, for them to get to the under, a 10.5, that's losing two games. With games against Texas, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Tennessee, LSU, Auburn. I'm not saying they lose all those. But I'm just saying those are all games where I could see – like none of those losing those games would not surprise me. Mm-hmm. I think we get a weirdly down season from Alabama. Like I think eight and four, nine and three is not out of the question. Mm. Yeah, Nick Saban's the best coach in the history of college football, probably. So like, I'm not gonna write him off. But I just look at the schedule and I look at kind of what they've got and and yeah, I mean I, I think that's that, if I had to make like a bold prediction, it is Alabama goes eight and four. Yeah, I definitely think that they will. It wouldn't surprise me to see them have the first down. I mean, nine and three being a down year is insane, but have their first down year in several years. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, no, and it's crazy to think that that is down, but the standard's different down there. You and I, everyone knows it. Like, but fire saving, (laughs) get the fire saving people out. I mean, I just think like. It's if I'm if I'm piggybacking on my own my own bold prediction, it's that they go eight and four this year and then win the national championship next year. Because I think like <laughs> he'll just he'll go get Tom Brady to come play or something. <laughs> like, I, like, I don't know. It'll be nuts. But you have a, a new offensive coordinator in Tommy Reese. Like he's not he's new to Bama, right? So like it's gonna be a slightly different system. 
also a ton of talent gone. I mean, Bryce Young, Will Anderson, like that's huge. Your leader on both sides of the ball, gone. Jameer Gibbs, gone. So now you're replacing your running back. And Trey Sanders transferred away. So I, I just, I don't know. It's just not, again, the coverage is not bare, but it's not. It doesn't seem it's not inevitable. Bama talent. It's like not it's inevitable. Not, like, yeah. What's crazy is that, and we, I think we may have talked about this at some point during football season, it feels like the balance of power has shifted a little bit. It feels like now Georgia's the one that you look at their roster and you're like, Jesus, does, does it ever stop? Right? Because, yeah, they lost a lot, but I still pull up their roster and I'm like, mm, okay, hi, Brock Bowers. Like, they still have, like, offensive cheat codes, and you know there's guys on that defense that we just, we don't know their names yet, but they're going to step right in. And and I just, it's funny because I used to say that about Bama every year, and I just feel less confident in that now. While you have other teams around them like LSU getting better, Ole Miss getting better, like Tennessee getting better, maybe? Yeah, know. they might take a step back, but they were pretty good last year. So, yeah. Auburn, they got God on their side now. God is Peyton Thorne. Uh, <laughs> maybe. We'll see. Thorne, crown of thorns. Mm. Yeah, that's a stretch. I'll workshop it. <laughs> All right. Well... That's our May preview. Plenty of time for all of that to be undone in the next several months as yeah. we get into summer practice. When and Georgia has board. a betting scandal. Kirby needs to stop betting on Georgia baseball. Yeah, that'd be smart. If you have any bets that you would like to make, you can let us know what they are, and we will discuss them on the air at some point. Uh, you can reach us at preferredwalkons at yahoo.com. Or you could reach us on Twitter or Instagram at PWOPod. And uh, yeah. Email us an email or tweet us a tweet about bets you want to bet. 